Jeanette Brown is the founder of Excellence and Presence Communications, a public relations firm whose clients have included companies such as Pepsi, Reebok, NASCAR, Audi, and the U.S. Open. Jeanette, who was born and raised in Brooklyn, was originally studying to become a nurse. That's what I wanted to do. My grandmother was a nurse practitioner. My aunts were nurses. Uh, my mom worked in a hospital. So I was just like, yeah, I'm going to become a nurse. And then um, chemistry, that thing called chemistry came up in college. And I was like, wow, if I can't do this, there's no way biology can even be an option. Jeanette switched her major to early childhood education, but at the same time, at the age of 20, landed her first job at a PR agency where she was pitching to the media a U.S. Open tennis camp for girls. It was my first uh, project and I did extremely well. I also got to meet great tennis legend Billie Jean King and that was the beginning of, uh, of it all. On this episode of Run It Like a Girl, Jeanette Brown tells us that she helps client companies with all aspects of their businesses, which could include crisis management and potentially a company apology. And, and not in a, a, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just looking to to calm people and, and kind of move past it, but apologizing with an intention to make changes, to do things differently, to acknowledge that maybe there's an antiquated way of, of business that you now need to, to shift to appeal to um, a new generation of consumers. Jeanette also talks about authentic storytelling and the importance of resilience. Founder of Excellence and Presence Communications, Jeanette Brown, on this episode, of Run It Like a Girl. It's been a pretty great week so far, and it's only getting better because I'm really excited that I have the opportunity to talk with Jeanette Brown, who is the founder of Excellence and Presence Communications. Jeanette, thank you so much for joining me for an episode today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and looking forward to this discussion. Oh, me too. And, uh, and, I, and I love what you do for a living in terms of like it's all around communications and how people communicate with each other because I'm a podcast host and that's largely what we do. So I can't wait <laughs> right. to hear some of your insights. And let's just get into it. How about you tell us a bit about your background and your early career? Sure. So I uh, am born and raised in Brooklyn, and I still live here. Um, I've always been a very uh, social person. So naturally, I uh, fell into uh, communications and started at a PR agency at the age of 20. At the time, I had no idea what PR was. I was going to school at night and, um, and was working on these exciting programs and got the opportunity to pitch the media for the first time and about a U.S. Open tennis camps for girls. And um, I did really well on this program. And my assignment was to reach out to weekly newspapers and drum up attention for people to sign their daughters up for tennis camps. And it was my first uh, project and I did extremely well. I also got to meet great tennis legend Billie Jean King. And that was the beginning of, uh, of it all. So. Wow. That that was the hook, the hook wow. and, and uh, welcome. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a great way to get started. And um, so did you always know that was kind of where you were going to go or was it just kind of that first job and that's where it went? No, it was just it was that first job in PR. Before that, I was studying to be become a nurse. That's what I wanted to do. My grandmother was a nurse practitioner. My aunts were nurses. Uh, my mom worked in a hospital. So I was just like, yeah, I'm going to become a nurse. And then. 
um, chemistry, that thing called chemistry came up in college. And I was like, wow, if I can't do this, there's no way biology is going to even be an option. So um, I decided, I thought about early childhood education and, um, and uh, I was then, I switched my major to that. And then um, while doing that study course of study, I had a full-time job at a PR agency and that became the career path that I, that I took. Amazing. And then I'd love to know, so how did you make that decision to, or that leap really, to running your own business? Okay, so I, uh, in 2017, I had my second son and I, um, my fir- I had my first son at the beginning of my career and I spent a lot of time growing through the ranks and, and I wasn't at home as much as I would have liked to be. And it was very much about, um, you know, making sure that I uh, became this uh, successful executive and I committed myself to work and, and family almost became secondary, if that's even possible. Um, but, uh, and then so 2017, I had my second child and I said, you know what, I will consult as opposed to going back in full time. At the time I had him, I was a vice president at a leading agency here in New York and the, the role was demanding. I was traveling a lot, uh, you know, working late evenings and I just felt I needed to prioritize family this time around and, um, and the work would uh would uh, come what i could manage anyway yeah absolutely and that's um that's so interesting kind of like i think that is probably not unique to you in terms of that balance of between like a high level corporate kind of job and your home responsibilities and to make that decision to actually go out and do your own thing and to say no you know what i'm going to do it my way i think right, that's right. pretty incredible and i just have to ask a kind of sidebar question here so you have i guess about a 9 to a 4 year old right now yes how has that been during uh the last 18 months uh it's been interesting uh during the uh the midst of the pandemic i did have him home with me uh for an extended period of time and was very cautious about um child care and and it's not you know remote learning wasn't what we were doing it was very much like he wanted to sit and talk and play with me all day while working but um, I eventually had him uh, go back to daycare um, because it, it was becoming overwhelming to try to balance both. And I was fortunate enough to find the daycare that he was going to was a small, a pro- small program, and he was kept safe and has been to date, thankfully. And um, I had to kind of let my fears go and just trust that everything was going to be okay. And that is exactly what has happened. For sure. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, it's been such a toll on so many parents, you know, women, men everywhere, um, right. as well as their children, though. And just that yes. sense of, of being able to go and play with other kids or be with other people um, right. is so important. So I, I did that. My kids went to school um, okay. th- throughout, except for when <laughs> Ontario had quite a few lockdowns. So when they weren't in school, they were home. But right. um, but when they could, they went because I just I think the mental health issues that are going to come out of this as well is, is a whole other yeah. aspect of this pandemic, which is coming to light now. But uh, I guess enough about that. Um, let's talk about right. communications and PR. And right. <laughs> so I want to I want to first I'm going to get your thoughts on something that isn't part of this brief at all. But I remember uh, hearing this. You hear this a lot. And uh, I won't say whether I agree with it or not, but I'd love your thoughts. What do you think when someone says there's no such thing as bad press? I have several examples as to uh, what those bad press opportunities are, having worked on crisis campaigns. 
So, uh, so I always, uh, I can always give an example of what bad press is. And sometimes you can get a piece of press that you think is good. And because it isn't, you spend more time cleaning it up. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. That, that would be my, my views as well. I, I laugh when you hear people say that, um, cause well, it's just not true. So, right. you know, communications PR, so very crucial to every single organization out there. Um, how an org responds in time of crises, how they launch new brands or products. Where does your company come in and how do you help your clients? And maybe let's start by focusing for a minute on like a new brand launch. Like what, is, what are some of the exciting projects you've worked on? But I'd also like to get into kind of like how an organization needs to deal with a time of crisis. Right. So, so the, so I help clients in every aspect of their business. Um, and when it comes to PR, some people think it's just publicity or just securing press, but because of all of the work that I've done, I understand that there is a, a holistic and strategic approach needed to launch a campaign, launch a product or assist a person in positioning themselves as an expert or a thought leader. So um, I currently, um, I've worked on campaigns where I've helped to launch a rum brand recently. And it was a rum um, that rums from all over the world that were, were bottled by a rum expert here in New York City. And, uh, and his idea was that he wanted to bring rums that weren't normally imported to the U.S. to the rum connoisseur. So that was something that I worked, um, I worked on recently and it went really well. And it was all about establishing this unknown brand that had great quality and the owners were amazing and telling that story and then lending in leading into the product that they had identified as the, the you know some of the best runs in the world the um i'm also working with authors i work with two authors who are um, a husband and wife team they are uh, co-authored a, a a book series called the amazingly sensational kids they are also autism advocates um their uh, oldest son uh, has autism and uh, he, um, he and their daughter also helped to inspire their book series. So it's all about teaching acceptance and um, indifferences and just driving awareness for um, children with autism, as well as the parents who are managing their challenges. So they wrote their books. They created amazing books. My job was to come in and, and my partners was to come in and help streamline their messaging, help them reach their, their target audience, and then grow their brand beyond New York City and the tri-state area, which we've done a great job at. So I'm also excited because I'm a, a mom again and, uh, you know, a young mo a mom with a young child, rather. So, you know, reading these books, it kind of lends itself to my lifestyle. That's so awesome. And uh, you know what, maybe we can uh, put a link to that book in your show notes as one of the examples of a project you've done oh, or something like that. Amazing. Just to try to get amazing. that out there a little bit because it sounds, uh, that sounds really cool. So you've had the opportunity to work the whole kind of, all industries kind of thing and in, in different yes. variety. That's really neat. Yes. yes. And I feel fortunate, especially as having my own agency, because I remember interviewing for jobs at like a, a beauty PR agency and they're like, oh, well, what beauty products have you worked on? I'm like, hmm, none. And, uh, or, uh, or working, looking to work in other industries and folks not being able to see how the skill set is interchangeable. And, um, and I've been fortunate to work across sports, uh, corporate sponsorships, alcohol, uh, some crisis communications, automotive. And uh, my experience in the automotive uh, category specifically was, was more of having had managed a crisis campaign and coming in and helping shift perception, but it had nothing to do with the fact that I knew that autonomous driving was like 
something that had happened five years before I'd even arrived and helping a camp. I'm like, did you guys know that they, that there are cars out there that actually can navigate and you don't have, they're like, Jeanette, I don't, I want you to know that that's not the news here. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Oh, <laughs> but, but the idea of shifting consumer perception and helping to, uh, to create a positive message when the perception is that, you know, something wrong or something was received as, uh, as uh, you know, just like the not, not the best move for a company is something that I've also been able to assist with, which is, um, it happens, right? I think it happens for everyone. And sometimes news takes on a life of its own. And um, I started NPR when they, uh, I was sending stacks of uh, tennis camps for girls at the U.S. Open. Uh, I stood at the fax machine and sent those out to newsrooms and editors. And today, because of the internet, you know, all you need is like one line to, uh, to go viral. And it tur- the news takes on a life of its own. And that, I think, has created more bad press opportunities than actually those strategic campaigns. And that is what I find that a lot of the crisis campaigns are coming from today. That, you know, that's interesting. And, it, and it's so true because I, I find, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's not the great news all the time that, that gets into the, into the press. Right. It's that one misstep or that, uh, right. you know, that mistake that was making. And it's funny because I, um, you know, when I was in school, the case study that everybody used around crisis communication and the best example was Johnson & Johnson and how they handled uh, the situation when there was tampering with their medicine. Um, right. And, you know, what? I'll put a little bit of that in the show notes, too, because now that I've said that, people might be like, what are you talking about? By the way, that was a long time ago. But, um, but it was an example of actually doing it right. I'd love from your perspective, when something comes out that's very bad for an organization, what is the first thing that the organization should do to start their process of their crisis comms? So they should um, completely stop all communication and take a step back and analyze the root of the problem because within the problem or the crisis, there is a solution. And it, it could be something as simple as, you know, a, a one article misinterpreted an announcement and then it took on a life of its own. Or it could be assessing an audience that you were reaching out to and maybe you weren't aware of, uh, of nuances, cultural nuances, or, or how, you know, there's this like small thing bubbling within a, uh, within a, a consumer group that you should be cognizant of prior to sending a message and um, which, which definitely helps to, to um, it helps to bring multiple people with different perspectives around the table when you're coming up with ideas so that those things happen less and less. And, you know, there are all these studies and uh, consumer studies and research that happens that before campaign launches that sometimes has to happen after something has gone wrong and then you realize where the misstep has taken place. And the next step is usually if there was something that was misinterpreted to release an announcement that clarifies that point of misunderstanding. And in some cases it may require apologizing and, and not in a, a, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just looking to, to calm people and, and kind of move past it, but apologizing with an intention to make changes, to do things differently, to acknowledge that maybe there's an antiquated way of, of business that you now need to, to shift to appeal to um, a new generation of consumers. Right. And that, I, I guess, would be probably where authenticity comes in and, and, yes. and actually being, you know, maybe a little bit vulnerable with your with your audiences. So I'd love actually to move a little bit and talk about authentic storytelling. 
Um, you know, I'm a marketer by day and, and uh, we hear all the time that storytelling is, is, is we, I'm hearing that word more and more and more around what we try to achieve. But I'd love to know from your perspective, what is authentic storytelling? So authentic storytelling, um, in my opinion, is being authentic to the, um, the origination of a brand, the inspiration for an idea, um, where the idea has come from, and then telling that story with those vulnerabilities. You just said that word, and I think that, um, you know, uh, people think that you're supposed to show up a certain way in the world. And the reality is with, you know, without any, you know, flaws or, or, you know, chips in our, you know, in our, in our um, exterior, but the reality is we're all vulnerable and, um, and sometimes showing that vulnerability and probably more than not showing that vulnerability is a true demonstration of strength, which then allows you to tell your story and people connect with that, right? Even if it's, you know, in a, in a public setting, you don't want to, admit that you cry because you're depressed. You know, sometimes you may touch 10 people in that room who saw you as a leader, but if you admitted that you cry because sometimes you're depressed, they're like, wow, but they, they seem so strong. It's like, no, I'm actually, you know, a real human being or, and I can still have great ideas and still cry if I'm sad. Right. So um, I think it's just the idea of embracing um, whatever is original, unique about yourself and sometimes being, sometimes being vulnerable is also a great demonstration of being a leader and telling an authentic story. I love that. And I love how you said vulnerability as a strength to actually yeah. know, be strong enough to show your yeah. whole self or who, or who you are. And I think that leads nicely into my next question, which is around resilience. And, you know, what does being resilient mean to you? Okay. So um, that's a great question because resilience to me is, is uh, pushing through difficult times when they don't look like what you thought they would, right? You, they don't look like uh, um, the best example I can give you that I've used is I had a coach when um, I was a vice president and, and a professional coach. And I, she's like, what is, you know, what do you want to do in five years? I said, I want to be successful. And she stopped. She's like, what makes you think you're not successful right now? And I was like, uh, uh, I don't know, right? Like it, in my mind, it was this thing that was like out there and it's like, no, think about your accomplishments today. And, and I think that resilience is in that moment, I was tapping someone to give me advice and like help me be the best I could be. And she's just like, why don't you think you're the best that you can be right now? And, and that to me is like, is the best example of resistance. Like sometimes it's all about what you're thinking, right? Like t changing your perspective. And, and even if there's something that's challenging and difficult that's happening, there is a silver lining there, or there's a lesson that you should be learning. And then you're able to, to push through and see success or whatever it is you're trying to achieve on the other side. It just, just doesn't look like what you think it does. And usually it's an image that you've seen on TV, right? Or someone else. Yeah what you're always looking towards, right? Instead of what you've actually right. already accomplished. <laughs> accomplished. Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. What a, what a great piece of, uh, of, of guidance or advice to, to receive from your coach about, <laughs> or just the question. Know, right? Yeah, right, 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 right. She posed the question and I, you know, like, I just, I want to be successful in five years. And when she stopped me, I, I, a light bulb went off and I was like, you know what? You're right. I am successful, you know, but sometimes being humble or, or not wanting to, to, uh, 
you know, toot your own horn or, or talk about the things that you've achieved is like, you know, and boasting. It just seems like it's something that should happen when lights and cameras come around and it's, you know, it's that excitement you feel when something good, when you've achieved something good or accomplished a task and are just like suppressing, yeah. suppressing the, the, your excitement or your achievements just because you don't want to seem like that person, right, who's uh, constantly boasting about all the things that they've done. Yes, exactly. Downplaying yeah. our achievements because, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think we could all yeah. do a little more talking about our achievements. I don't think there's right. anything wrong with that. So Agreed. I, this next question is actually a question that we ask all of our guests. Um, and I think I say this every single time. I love it because there's themes that happen, but each answer is unique to the person that I'm talking to. And I just love that. So if okay. you could go back to when you first started your career or when you went to college, um, a point in time, and have a conversation with your younger self, what type of advice would you give? I would tell my younger self to be confident and um, do less of looking for um, others to validate me or, um, or um, you know, kind of give me the pat on, on, on my back when I have achieved something. And, um, and, I probably stumbled through that, but essentially like don't look to others for acceptance or, Hey, you did a great job. Like know that you've given something your best and, and, and move on as opposed to, Oh, did everyone see that? Did you realize this great thing that I did and, or doing things because you wanted someone's acceptance and approval. I did a lot of that early on in my career. And, um, and sometimes I would, you know, jump through hoops and it still wouldn't be recognized. But it was amazing because no one else was doing it. But no one told me that it was amazing. <laughs> right. So that's great. That's that's a lot good. more worrying. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it's interesting because that that theme, not exactly how you said it, has definitely kind of come up about, you know, having more confidence in yourself and, and belief and not doing things simply to please others but doing right. it for what you want to do. Um, well, that brings us to the, that's the final question of our kind of our formal podcast. And it, and it brings us to what we call the fast three. And this is a way for our listeners to kind of um, get some more information, something that they can, you know, do after they listen. Um, so I'm just going to ask you three questions and love to hear your answers. And the first question is, what is your favorite podcast or source of information? So my favorite podcast uh, now is the Ebro in the Morning Show, and it's a a um, a show that I've that plays on the Hot ninety seven radio station here in New York, and I've been listening to it since I was a teenager. And it's one of those things that if I I'm traveling on business, I'll listen to it on an app or. Um, so that I don't turn on like the traditional <laughs> FM radio. Like I actually don't even have a radio in my house, which is kind of embarrassing. But um, I guess that's what everyone's doing now. And um, so that's one of my favorites. And I get, you know, quick news bites as well as topics that I enjoy to learn about. And I'm here. And, um, and it, just, it just has a great nostalgic feeling when I, when I tune in. Awesome. That's, that's awesome. And what are you currently reading? So I'm currently reading uh, Disability Visibility, um, edited by Alice Wong, and it's um, it's uh, first-person stories from the 21st century about people with um, who have disabilities. 
So the, the perspective is, you know, it's, we're in an ableist society and the stories are told through the eyes of um, people with disabilities. And um, I think it's a phenomenal book and it, it definitely brings perspective um, for me. I've read quite a few stories and they're, they're really interesting. Awesome. That sounds great. And who is currently inspiring you? So uh, my four-year-old is currently inspiring me, and I learned that during the pandemic, which is what I wanted to mention earlier, is that uh, being able to spend a lot more time with him has taught me about um, the innocence of a child and how they learn and interact and, and watching him like, just give love to strangers. And, and sometimes I'm like, stop it, come here, or, or you know, like he's running off and, and wanting to be extremely friendly, and I'm thinking, oh, this world, you have no idea what's put in store. But um, he's inspiring me today. Just you know, be more playful and, and, and happy, and kind of take it, take life one day at a time. Well, Jeanette, I want to thank you for spending this last half hour with me. It's been incredible to hear your experiences and your insights, and it's just been really fun. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk. <laughs>